Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host, Brian Jura. The Mets have, tonight, tonight is Wednesday Wednesday night. We're recording this on, on, no, Thursday night, sorry, on Thursday night. And the Mets have tonight off. So it's a excellent night for a podcast. And I'm very pleased to, to bring back a great friend of the show, John Springer. John, um, I understand you're the reason that the Mets are on this hot streak. You went out of town. I went out of town, but I stayed too long. So... <laughs> Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Dylan lately, and there's uh, the one song, Mississippi. The only thing I did wrong was stay in Mississippi a day too long. Yeah, so that's right. Maybe you, maybe you did that. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the second half, since we haven't done a whole lot of podcasts here about the, the Mets' great uh, play here in the second half. And right now they're 39-23 and 23 after the All-Star break. And if you extrapolate that to a 162-game season, that's 102 wins. And, you know... Um, what's that 50 62 games that's about 40 percent of the the season i think it's like 38 and change can we make a case that this team healthy is i don't know a 95 win true talent level type of team um i think so but i mean you have to take the entire um season at once, right? So they're really, uh, what are they going to be? A, an 85 win team, I guess, if we're lucky. So um, they are what they are. Um, you know, true talent level, uh, you know, obviously they've they've underperformed how well you'd expect them to have done, given that they're having, um, you know, three guys on the team are having kind of otherworldly years. And, um you know they've they've got a pretty good lineup this year. They haven't had a whole lot of injuries, um, so you know I, I think they're better than they're going to be overall. But they are what their record says they are. Now you mentioned the injuries, and yeah, I I think I have to disagree. We get so used to having multiple people have multiple season-ending injuries, but. Uh, Cano's been injured uh, a couple of times. Uh, Frazier started the the year on the IL. Uh, Jed Lowry missed almost the entire season. Um, we didn't Jeff even McNeil's, need that guy. <laughs> Jeff McNeil's been on the uh, IL twice. Conforto was on the IL. Um, Seth Lugo was was out. And I mean, it, it seems like I'm forgetting others that that have missed time. So, yeah, you know, the, the guy that we're paying more money to than anyone else has been on the IL list for the, the better part of two years now. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been as bad as previous years, and we've been able, for the most part, to fill in with a higher caliber of player. Brandon Nimmo yeah, uh, missed most of, the, most of the year. Uh, we've been able to fill in with a higher caliber, caliber of player, but... I think it's erroneous to say that injuries haven't played a major role in, in this year's team. Well, I mean, I guess it, relative to another bad Met injury season, it's probably been a little bit easier on us. And you're right, we've been able to fill in the holes. Um, what I was really thinking about was sort of major injuries. I think we've had the team that we've wanted on the field most of the year. Um, you're right. I overlooked uh, Frazier being out, but you know what? Frazier being out was somewhat of a bonus to me, at least as we went into the season. Um, you know, Cano being out for the couple weeks that he was out. I think the second time he was out, I think I missed him a little bit. But uh, you know, um, he he wasn't really pulling much weight uh, when he went down. And when I was thinking about injuries, you know, I was kind of thinking about the starting pitching, which has been you know almost. Um, uh, you know, as good as you can expect, I think, in a, in a 2019 year. I'd have to look at um, other teams uh, and see if they've had the, the you know, a degree of injury worse than ours. But I think the Mets have uh, survived the season pretty well uh, for the for the season. You mentioned the starting pitching, and, and you're right, that's been very healthy. However, they did have one stretch where Jason Vargas, I don't know if he actually went on the IL or not, but he missed a couple of starts, and that was the exact same uh, time period that Steven Matz was down. Right. So they didn't necessarily have a lot of injuries, but the, the tiny ones that they had were together, which certainly did not make things any easier. Right. Well, they didn't make the things easy for themselves either uh, at times this year. So, I, I'm not, I, you know, no matter how it turns out, I'm not going to remember this year for the, for the injuries that they had. I'm going to 
I'm going to remember this year for the um, uh, lack of execution and lack of preparation the team seemed to have, particularly in the first half of the season. Wow, what a pessimist! I'm going to remember the 15 and one stretch that they had, and oh, I'll and how that they, too. <laughs> how well they've played here here in the second half. I mentioned. Brandon Nimmo a second ago, and I want to talk about him. Sure. Um, he's been, uh, since being activated on September 1st, he's played in 16 games, and he has uh, an 1183 OPS. And, uh, you know, that's a tiny sample size. But when you combine it with what he did when healthy last year, um, you know, do we have to think of Brandon Nimmo as an all-star caliber player? I mean, if he continues on like that, sure. He's got to stay healthy for the year, but... Um... Uh, yeah, I, I've always liked Nimmo. You know, he he's uh, gotten on base and and hit at least a little bit everywhere he'd been. He's a strong guy. You know, he takes he he takes strike three more often than you'd like to see. But um, uh, you know, I I, I like Nimmo. Um, and and if he continues to improve, he'll he'll be an all star player for sure. If not, he's going to be a solid, um, you know, tough out, uh, you know, uh, outfielder, which is not a bad thing to have. Before he was activated from the IL, and I, I have not checked here recently to see how the numbers stand, but I can't imagine that uh, they've changed too significantly much. Pete Alonso had a uh, 148 OPS plus, which is exactly what Nimmo did in 2018. Yeah. And um, you know, I think that everyone, rightfully so, is is just incredibly excited about what Pete Alonso can do going forward. But I don't sense that they have that same excitability for what Nimmo brings to the table. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, Nimmo was easy to overlook because he wasn't around this year. Um, and, and, you know, on top of that, he got off to a poor start before he went down. But, um, you know, he had a terrific year last year. Um, and, um, it, you know, it, we, I guess it was sort of easy to forget him because you had, you know, McNeil and Alonzo doing as well as they did. But uh, certainly, you know, Nimmo's a strong player. I, I, I like the guy. Now, when they came back, he was batting very low in the batting order, which seems an incredibly strange thing to do who's, for a guy whose forte is getting on base. Uh, he has since moved up, and he's actually uh, let off a couple of times. And it's such an interesting dynamic with uh, certainly a, a guy like you mentioned, uh, Jeff McNeil, who seemingly has the ability to hit anywhere in the lineup. Mm -hmm. And then you combine that with Alonzo, who's bad as high as uh, second, and I think he's been as low as fifth. So there's a lot of um, interchangeability uh, that the, the Mets have with their those three core players. That's true. And, and you know, I, I'm not one of these guys who makes a big deal about where a guy's hitting in the batting order on a particular day. Uh, you know, maybe if you've got a guy who's, you know, unless unless they're not performing, right? So when you had Cano, you know, clogging up the middle of the order for a little bit longer than I would have liked uh, earlier this year, then you need to move him out. But, you know, whether McNeil, Nemo, um, Alonzo, uh, you know, even Conforto, one, two, three, or four. It, you know, it doesn't matter. Let's get the let's get the guys who can hit uh, up near the top of the order. Not necessarily to win tonight's game, but to maximize their plate appearances over the course of the season. Now, let's talk a little bit about Jacob Degrom. No Met has ever won the Cy Young Award in back-to-back -back seasons, and uh, certainly in uh, oh, I don't know May, it didn't look like uh, Degrom had a snowball's chance of, of performing that feat. But but now he's he's right there in the mix. How would you handicap the Cy Young Award race uh, specifically with Degrom's chances? I you know pretty good. <laughs> is is that a, is that a good answer? Um, Look, let's see what I mean. It's going to come down to a pretty close vote in the end, you know, between him and and Scherzer and Soroka. Um, I, I guess those are the three contenders. There might be some other guys on the outside, um, and they've all had great years. Um, you know, a, lo a little bit depends, I think, on um, you know if a guy like uh, Scherzer gets through and the Nationals go to the playoffs and he does something there. I know it's not supposed to count, but it will in the minds of the voters. Um, on pure numbers, and and it ended today. You could certainly make a case for Degrom, and I'd I'd vote for him just because I you know I watch him every night uh, and and see how much he he puts into you know what uh, his results and um, you know he he's been great. 
Now, last year down the stretch, it was DeGrom and Scherzer and Aaron Nola of the Phillies, and it seemed like DeGrom really pulled away in the the minds of the voters in the last couple of weeks, and which just so happened to coincide with him finally getting a winning record. Yeah. And um, it, it'll be curious to see you know, how that experience from last year will translate over to this year. Uh, Scherzer certainly was not good in his last outing. Soroka pitched today. I think he got the win, but he only went five innings, and it was not certainly not a, a, a dominating outing. So... Um, yeah. If you if you look at the uh, the war numbers, I think uh, Degrom leads in one and Scherzer leads in the other, but they're really neck and neck. I mean, this this might be the uh, the classic definition of a coin flip between Scherzer and Degrom. Yeah, it, probably so. I mean, I feel like last year, you know, one of the reasons that that Degrom got the um, you know got the vote in the end was that there was a such a movement and and such sympathy for him. Um, given that you know how how dominant he really was last season, and and had you know didn't have a winning record till the very end of the year, but you were talking about a, like a one point seven something ERA he had last season and a uh, ERA plus over two hundred. Um, where this year those numbers aren't quite as high, or or quite as good. So maybe the voters would be a little less forgiving of a guy with a pedestrian one loss record um, in a close match with. Um, um, you know, a pennant winner or a playoff team uh, ace with similar numbers. It'd be real interesting if uh, we were able to discuss this with somebody who had a, uh, a Cy Young Award vote. Because if you look at what DeGrom has done, say, the last three months, I mean, it, it certainly feels like what he gave to the team in 2018. Yep. You know, yep. He got off to such a, a rough start and uh, seems to have completely righted the ship, you know, regardless of what the reason was that he struggled early on. Yeah, he so, definitely you, he definitely did. I remember, was it, the first Tuesday of the year in Kansas City, they, they hammered him, and uh, you thought, uh-oh. <laughs> but, yeah, he is uh, back to being as, as dominant as he was last year. You're right. Yeah, but it, I guess the my, my uh, query would be, do the – do the voters break it down to that type of thing, or do they just look at the the final year numbers and say, well, I've been watching all year long. I don't need to do any more than that. Yeah, I think they go for the best story, to be honest with you. And, you know, if they get the uh, a wrong choice, it wouldn't be the first time. And if they, um, you know, come out in favor of one guy in a close race, it wouldn't be the first time, um, you know, that that happened either. So, uh, you know, I mean, at this point, it, the, the differences between the, the top couple guys haven't been so dramatic that you couldn't make a case for any of the top three at this time. So let's see what happens the last couple of weeks and, um, and, you know, where the voters come down. I think story's going to have something to do with it. You know, that, you, you know the Braves, you know, have had a uh, kicked everybody's ass in the, in the East this year. Um, you know, maybe they say, you know, Soroka deserves it on, on that basis. I know... You know that that wouldn't necessarily be my vote if I were voting, but um, you got to understand the um, you know the, the the feeling of the writers who who make those choices. They're not watching everybody's game. Now, last year Degrom was clearly the feel good story for the Mets, and and this year I would suggest that it was Pete Alonso. Uh, last night he tied Mark McGuire's. Uh, uh, record for well, no longer a record, but uh, tied Mark McGuire with his 49th home run, the the second most uh, ever by a, a rookie. Uh, Aaron Judge uh, set the mark a couple of years ago with 52. Do you think that uh, Alonzo's got a, a chance to match or beat Judge? He could do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't see why not, right? I mean, they've got what two weeks left in the year. Um, so uh, how many games left? I think the Mets have 10. 10. It could be done. He could do that. I mean, or he, or he could have a little bit of a cold streak like he's had, you know, in some of these, um, you know, these few games where he's struggling. It seems like, um, he, you know, I was at a, a game, uh, what was it, last week um, on a Tuesday night where, where he and uh, McNeil, I thought, between the two of them probably had their combined worst games of the year. Um, but, um, you know, he, he, he's... Look, he he just showed you what he hit uh, three in the last three games, something like that. He's uh, broken out of a mini slump. Yes, there you go. See, so he could get hot again. It could happen. 
Now, I, I believe that you and I are roughly the same age, and to me, whenever I think of home run hitters, the first guy that jumps into my mind for the Mets is Kingman. Dave Kingman. <laughs> because when when the Mets got him, you know, Frank Thomas had the, the home run record set in the, the original year back in the polo grounds, mm-hmm. but they really hadn't had anybody. I mean, I, I, I used to know the numbers, but I think that uh, they'd only had like five guys who had hit 20 when yep. Kingman arrived. Yep. And, and Kingman was such a... a a breath of fresh air in, in that regard, at least. Yep. And it was so, so much fun to watch. So to me, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking back a little bit to Kingman. I don't necessarily want uh, or need Alonzo to break the home run record, but just 10-year-old me would be so thrilled if the Mets had a 50 home run hitter. Yeah. So to me, I'm hoping that he, he gets that nice round number of 50. I think that'd be great. And, and you know, if you recall 76, I think um, Kingman was on pace for about 50 that year. Before I was the, at the uh, game where he decided to try to uh, hold up his, his entire body with <laughs> yeah. the, his thumb. Uh, you know, the Phil Necro game. I remember, so. I remember uh, listening to that game on a transistor radio in my friend's backyard. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, well, that's it. Well, was, <laughs> let's wait till next year. And then next year didn't come until a couple years later when he yep. was on the Cubs. Yep. <clears throat> All right, well, let's get back to uh, 2019 here. And, you know, we've been talking about all up, 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 up things. And, you know, we're Met fans, so we can't have these nice things. Mm-hmm. Noah Syndergaard, I mean, I, I don't think you could uh, objectively look at it and say anything, but it's been a disappointing season. Sure so yeah. um, what can he or should he or, or the Mets do going forward? Uh, you know, I guess he's got to be one of those guys who, who learns to – do a little bit more finesse as he ages, right? Um, he he is not missing as many bats as he used to, and some of those hits or more of those hits are going over the fence than they used to. Uh, you know, at times it looks like he's kind of lost concentration, uh, you know, not to a, a Matsian level here, but um, I think that's happened a few times. He's got he's got guys on, on 0-2 or, or two strikes. He, he can't uh, get that third strike past him, so... Um, I mean, we've seen a lot of players, uh, you know, come in with uh, super, um, you know, a, a terrific fastball and, you know, hard slider and, and then have to develop more pitching ability as they age, you know. And I think he's got to he's got to do that or, you know, he needs to, to get a little bit more movement on back on his on his hard stuff. To me, it's just incredible that. Uh, pitchers who have a chance to watch from the dugout Jacob DeGrom on on a every fifth day basis don't either copy or pick up on on some of the things that he does and I mean I think we saw Wheeler do a little bit of that last year there was talk mm-hmm. that he copied his between starts throwing regime uh-huh. um, and I, I guess I wonder why Noah doesn't do the same thing I mean, I guess if it were easy, everybody would do it. So um, I think DeGrom, in addition to having great stuff, has a, a – um, I hate to go to the intangibles, but he has a poise about him and a, and a determination behind his his work. And, um, you know, to the point where he, he almost looked like he was kind of like uh, a little bit angry when things didn't go right. But um, – you know, when he's going well, he feels he feels like he's in control of himself. Sometimes Syndergaard, I think, is a little bit of a, a victim of his own, um, uh, you know, perfection or lack of perfection, if you would. You know, he, he um, I, I think he might have a little bit of less trust in himself to kind of get himself out of these things. And, and uh, you know, so he's, he's got to learn to deal a little bit with, um, you know, again, succeeding when, when his stuff isn't great and or, uh, you know, developing additional uh, tools for his arsenal. And that's just, you know, it sounds sounds to me that that's what Syndergaard is going to probably have to do. Um, And a lot of guys, you know, have to do that. And and a lot of guys don't do that and become less good, like, you know, Matt Harvey or whoever. Now, let's talk about the catcher situation. I mean, it was was obvious – at the end of 2018, because the Mets bent over backwards to match Syndergaard and Nito because it was working. Mm-hmm. And they've done the exact opposite this year when the stakes are so much higher right now. I mean, Maybe the ship has passed and the, and the playoffs are no longer a possibility, but 
Noah turned it around. I mean, yeah, Noah turned it around when Nito was his catcher. I think it was six times in seven starts or seven times in eight starts. And he had a DeGrom-like stretch in, in that period. Yeah. And then they went away from Nito. Yeah. And it was just like, dear God, why would you do that? Why would you mess with success? And then, you know, at, at the end of last year, you could say, well, you know, it was only 10 games or whatever the number was at the end of last year. But I think we're um, sitting somewhere around 22 starts, 23 starts right now between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And the difference in the last two years when Nito has caught Syndergaard and anyone else is over two runs. Yeah. Why would you not? Th- I mean, it's like free money. Why, why yeah. would you not bend over and pick up that 50 on the sidewalk? I mean, if you want me to make the argument, I could say because Nito can't hit and, you know, those 23 games – um, uh, you're doing without, you, you know, uh, uh, you're doing with a minor league hitter in the in your lineup, um, hitting four nights and four times a day. So I get that argument. I, I also get this. Um, I also get what the Mets, you know, want to say. They, I don't think they want Syndergaard to believe that he needs a special catcher in order to pitch um, well. And he's thrown good games with other guys. It's just hasn't been, you know, as freakishly successful, I suppose, as with. As with Nito, and Nito wasn't on the team earlier in the year, am I right? I mean, um, so. Well, yeah, yeah. Let me let me address that because yeah. um, the plan coming into the the year was for the catching duo to be Ramos and Darno. Right. But Darno was injured to start the year. I know. Imagine that. Hold <laughs> your surprise. But so Nito was on the roster for the first two weeks or whatever it was until Darno returned mm-hmm. and they didn't have Nito catch him. And this was right on the heels of, of last year when they had yeah. so much success. And, and it wasn't like they had to like call him up and juggle the roster. He's right there. Okay. And they refused to put him with him. And then Nito went down to the minors and was down there for a while. And then, um, I, I guess when they finally cut ties with Darno, he eventually came back up. But he's been up there ever since. And and to me, I mean, I, I guess I get it if you don't want to disrupt things and juggle your roster for a guy hitting the buck 90 or whatever it is that Nito is hitting. I, I understand if you don't want to do that. But when he's in the dugout and and the results have been this good for this long, I, it's it's essentially a full year's worth of starts right now. And yeah. and it it's like they're they're adding a degree of difficulty when they already have an uphill climb. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, it, to me, it goes back to um, uh, you know, if you want to make that that argument that that the Mets really came into this season kind of unprepared and a little bit arrogant. Um, you know, there were um, you know, you you heard all the things that um, you know Mickey was saying. Well, we're never going to use. Diaz in an uh, inning other than the ninth, or we're not going to bother to, you know, uh, have Dom Smith take reps in left field during spring training, and you know all these things, and they wound up having to, you know, make those decisions out of necessity, and they weren't prepared for it. Um, so, you know, that's that, that's part of it. Maybe they Mets should have thought through the the Nito thing. I just, you know, I don't want to let Syndergaard off the hook for not performing as well as he can when he's got a catcher who's a you know all-star hitter and is has certainly been a bigger help to the team overall than uh, Nito ever could be. So, uh, you know, that's my reticence on on Syndergaard. You know, I, I sound like uh you know uh Keith and Ron, but back in the old days the pitchers didn't <laughs> didn't dare even suggest that. Now, of course that brings up the question where is the trade-off? I mean, at some point, there's a trade-off where the, 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 the scales tip. And obviously, if you're Nito and, and you can't hit and you're struggling to run a 650 OPS, I mean, it's really hard to say that, well, you should be starting over a guy who's, you know, approaching, what, an 820, 830 OPS like yep. uh, Ramos is? I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't know exactly what they are. But, I mean, it's a significant difference what they're bringing to the table offensively. Yeah. But at some point, if you're so much better than the other guy defensively, that's got to that's gotta be just as important. And you don't know when 
Ramos is going to come up in a in a key situation, or if he's in the game, if Nito is going to come up in a key situation. But you know that Nito is going to be there to help guide Syndergaard through the game. So you have a, a known versus an unknown. And the unknown is absolutely 100% massively in favor of Ramos. But the known's got to be factored in there too. I guess so. I, like I said, um, you know, to me it's a little bit of a... Um, of a chicken and an egg thing, you know. I, I, I think if they're going to be tough with Syndergaard, you know, maybe they, maybe they, uh, you know, maybe the, the the situation is that they feel Syndergaard is protesting too much. You know, maybe he needs to, uh, you know, learn to work with uh, the other guy. Earlier, you used the word arrogance, and yeah. and I think that's an, uh, a tremendous word to describe the the Mets position here. It's just such it's such arrogance that that their way is the only way and we don't care about the team we don't care about wins we care about you doing what we say and to me that's that's unbelievably arrogant and and i i I think that you're absolutely right that Syndergaard's got to do better and and that he has to look in the mirror i i don't dispute that one bit but I think that the arrogance that the Mets are showing in the situation is 20 times more important than Syndergaard's lack of accountability. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess you're right. When I was using arrogance, I, I felt like, uh, you know, I mean it more in the sense that the, you know, the Mets were sort of acting as though they already won the division, you know, back before, you know, before the season started. They oh, come get a, us. Yeah, yeah, come get us, exactly. And... You know, and and Mickey, you know, who's not really straightforward with with the reporters when they ask him simple questions, uh, he makes it seem like it's a uh, you know a, a well thought out answer when when in reality it's it's a, a foolish decision he's making. So uh, you know that kind of stuff. I think that really you know that really doomed us. We're having, I think, as you referenced before, the best you know post All Star break in 15 or 20 years at least that I looked back at at one point um, that the Mets have ever had and um, you know it's it, it may not be enough to make up for the the complete you know lack of performance they they were showing us back in you know May and June and you're right that it, it's very likely not going to be enough and they they essentially threw away games when they insisted on starting someone besides Nito with Syndergaard when certainly he had made his preference known. They have a beefed up analytics department and I'm sure somebody said, you know, hey, you know, it's two years now that Nito has been doing so much better. And I mean, it just seems like the preponderance of whatever evidence there was, whether it was hard analytic evidence or, or personal preference or whatever, was all pointing towards, let's pitch him with, with Nito, and yet they refused to do it. Well, like I said, I think you could probably make a uh, statistics-based argument for um, batting uh, you know, uh, Ramos over, over Nito most nights as well. So I think there's two sides of the coin on this. You know, it's a, it's a little bit Syndergaard. It's a little bit the Mets. It's a little bit arrogance. It's you know, yeah. It's 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 probably in 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 Syndergaard's head too to agree. So, um, yeah, it's not a good situation. I think the the way that I phrased it earlier is that the the Mets had their choice between two idioms. And they opted to uh, cut off their nose to spite their face rather than to let the tail wag the dog. (laughs) That's not bad. All right, well, let's uh, go from uh, one disappointing pitcher to another. Uh, Edwin Diaz, do you you see a situation here the remainder of 2019 where um, he, he comes into the game for the Mets in a high leverage situation like he was brought on to do? And actually comes through. Well, um, not if the Mets can help it, but <laughs> <laughs> the Mets have a way of, of coming up with high leverage situations. So, um, you know what? Uh, you know, not, not if the Mets can help it. I mean, this guy's. Uh, you know, it's not just that uh, his his 
performances haven't been good. His body language and everything else just reads like this is a guy who has got no confidence and is just just awaiting the next disaster in his season. And I think they've rightly taken him out of the role. I think they probably should have much sooner. Uh, I think they could have fooled around with the bullpen a lot more than they than they did early. Um, but uh, you know he's a lost cause this year. I'm pretty sure. Does he have the ability to to have a good inning here and there? Yeah, but um, I, you know I I'd prefer not to see it. Now the the afternoon game the 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 Wednesday game where they made the big comeback in the ninth inning they had uh, Lugo do up and they actually showed a shot of Diaz warming up in in the pen and they had Joe Panic ready in the on deck circle to pinch hit for him and uh, I was thinking to myself dear God I don't want to see either of those two guys come into the game yeah. and fortunately Cano hit into the double play uh, <laughs> that was got the best the, situation it could have been it, it really was because <laughs> it got another run in and it, it really lessened the, the there was a runner on third and that was it at that time and yeah. they let Lugo hit and he got the run home yeah. which is probably more than Panic would have done so uh, and, nope. and then they kept Lugo in the game and then it was just like oh dear god why are, why are you trying to terrorize us like that mm-hmm. you know even hinting that you would put uh, Diaz into a, a high leverage spot in a, in a game where they were uh, you know going to pull one out you know they they had done so many times here uh this season where they had big leads in the late innings only to to throw them away and why were you going to tempt fate and do that again yeah yeah i mean crazy and and uh so yeah we 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 really did uh uh have a great situation with that double play Cano comes through finally. It is, it is theoretically more than theoretically possible. We saw it in action. Um, and speaking of Cano, let's talk about his uh, little brother, uh, Ahmed Rosario. Um, uh-huh. You know, it, in earlier in the season, it seemed like Rosario uh, was making a defensive blunder uh, pretty much every other day. But he's, he, I think he's made a lot of improvements defensively. But I, I don't think you can watch him without saying he does better going to his left than he does going to his right. And I guess my question for you is, can you play shortstop in the majors without a strong backhand? Well, um, you know, if it, I mean, I, I suppose you can if you're a Med Rosario and you're having the kind of year you are. Um, yes, right? It happens all the time. Um, you know, Rosario's funny. He's younger than Pete Alonso still. Nobody realized, remembers that, you know, and... Um, um, uh, you know, if you go back to the last time we talked and you asked me for a, a crazy prediction, I, I said he was going to be an all-star. Um, so I was I was a little bit premature on that, but but he's had a very good second half uh, offensively. There's nobody down in the minor leagues that's about to take his job, at least not right away. And, you know, whatever goofs he was making early in the season, right, if it was a lack of concentration or lack of urgency on his part which seemed to be you know all around the Mets at that time um, he's gotten better uh, it seems like he's, he's making the shorthanded plays a little bit more um, you know backhand forehand you know you know no player is perfect right so um, I he's my shortstop next year right is he yours um, barring a trade, yes. <laughs> Would you trade him? He's 23 years old. He's got a, uh, um, what is he, close, close to an 800 OPS in the second half. He's uh, he's improved. Absolutely, without a doubt. And and if, if I were to trade him, it wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I've given up on this guy's potential. I would be looking at it as, um, you know, you have to give something to get something. And um, I, I do think that the Mets have trades brewing in the off season because uh, the way that the payroll is set up is not. I mean, there's no way they can afford the players that they have while they hold on to a Wilpon level payroll. I think that uh, this year was the highest that the opening day payroll has ever been, and Cots had that opening day payroll somewhere in the neighborhood of 158 million. And I think if you look at the guys that they have under contract, and and uh, you you add in the 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 guys like 
Syndergaard and Conforto and Nimmo and, and Stroman, all of the guys who are going to be arbitration eligible, I think that you're looking at uh, like 168 million. And then you have to add in, you know, all of the rest of the players that, that fill out your 25 man roster. So, I mean, even, even without making any offer to retain Zach Wheeler, uh, I, I still think that right now you're looking at an opening day payroll of somewhere around 175 million, and there's nothing that the that the Wilpon era Mets have ever done to that make you think that they're going to do that. So it's like, well, how do you how do you get rid of you know a higher salary player that you don't want? And it's like, well, you know, maybe you maybe you package them with uh, a Medrasario. Yeah, you mean they're not going to sign uh, Rendon? <laughs> you know, people people say that because they they think that every big free agent should come to the Mets, and it's just like you know, Rendon has has been an outstanding player, but you've already got Lowry, who they're committed to, and they have J.D. Davis, who they're committed to, and yeah, Davis may end up playing more in the outfield than he does in the infield, but I mean, it, it it's just a, a a complete lack of the the understanding of the the players who are already on the roster, plus what you have uh, set aside in payroll already. Right, right. And and third base maybe where McNeilans are playing too. Oh, of course. Yeah, and no, I'm just saying. Um, you know, I, I I guess the bottom line is that um, uh, I like Rosario. He's still only 23. He's not going to be a drain on the payroll uh, next season, and unless you know, this crazy trade that you're making to save payroll or whatever it's doing brings back a shortstop. Who's going to who's gonna play shortstop next season? Guillaume? <laughs> you know, Guillaume would certainly be in the mix. I think that uh, you could make a case where they were planning on Jed Lowry to be the backup shortstop this year anyway, that uh, perhaps they would decide to, to punt defense completely oh. and, and put Lowry there. That sounds um, like a bad idea. Uh, I'm... I'm you know, sometimes there's what's ideal and there's sometimes what you have to do because of circumstance. And uh, I think that, well, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, that they absolutely refuse to, to, to let Dominic Smith take balls in the outfield. Yeah. And, then, and then guys got injured and then he had to play. And then, but, but meanwhile, he was hitting. And mm-hmm. it's just like, well, your refusal to play him in the outfield meant they couldn't play him when he was hitting. Yeah. No, I <laughs> so, mean, they're foolish, but I don't think they're foolish enough to trade Rosario uh, and make Jed Lowry the shortstop without Rosario getting hurt or, or some, you know, um, disaster that that makes a, a – how old is uh, is uh, Lowry? 37? I think he's 35 or 36, yeah. Yeah, he's 35. So he'll be 36, and he's coming off a, an ankle injury that took him out for the year, ankle, knee, whatever. That took and him he out hasn't played him. shortstop in, in years. 90%. There's no way he's the shortstop for a, start, for a good team next year. And, and just to be clear, I don't want them to trade Rosario, but I could certainly envision a scenario where they do. Okay. I could see him trading Syndergaard. I could see him trading uh, Conforto, maybe. Um, you know, um, maybe they trade J.D. Davis. You know, uh, it, I could see, you know, those, those situations playing out. All right, well, um, I I know that you probably think what I just said falls under this category, but it's crazy prediction time. Uh, I'm going to give you a a crazy prediction, and I'm going to ask you to comment on it and then uh, ask for you to give me a a crazy prediction of your own. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, my crazy prediction is that the wild card teams from the NL are going to be the Mets and the Brewers. So tell me, how crazy is that? I mean, some crazy things would have to happen in order for that to to uh, happen. Am I right? Uh, yes, because uh, right now the Nationals lead, I think, with a uh, uh, a game. The Brewers won this afternoon, so I think their their lead over the Brewers is one game. So right now, if the season ended, I think it would be the Nationals and the Brewers. Um, and then, in addition to those, there's also the Cubs and the Mets and the Phillies. So there's uh, there, there's a few teams uh, away between the, the Mets taking over, overtaking the Nationals. Yeah, well, I don't believe in the Phillies, so you don't have to worry about that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, Washington up by one point five. Man, it's possible. You know, you need the Cubs to to you, know, uh, you need the Cubs to to struggle out and and Milwaukee to stay hot. Uh, 
and the Mets to to win out, basically, right? I mean, I'm 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 all for that, but it's a little crazy. The yeah, the, the only situation where the Mets make it is for them to essentially win out. I mean, I don't think that they can. They they have a prayer if they go less than eight and two, and they probably have to go better than that. Right. But the the one thing is that there are five games in four days between the Nationals and the Phillies, and with neither of those teams having a particularly good bullpen, that that could be. It, it's not hard to imagine that series going spectacularly wrong for one of the two teams, and you know the. The Nationals' starting pitching is so much better than the Phillies, and it's really hard to imagine that the Nationals are going to be the team that are going to go one and four, or zero oh and five in that. But you know that's why it's a crazy prediction. Yeah, that, I mean that is crazy, right? I've got Washington um, hanging in there as ugly as that seems, and if the Mets going to catch somebody, it would have to be, you know, uh, uh, the, the Cubs or the Brewers. And the the one well, they, I mean, they would have to if, if you ha, if you keep the Nationals in there, they have to keep both of those. They have to catch both of those teams. Right. And the Brewers have Cupcake Central as their as their closing stretch. But they've but also the, been like so hot that they're they, they have and, and you you think that reality has to to surface here at some point. Right. But plus, the, Milwaukee the, belongs in the American League. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of this. Uh, now. The, the thing with the Cubs is they have to play the Cardinals, I think it's seven times here at the end. And right now the, we're in the bottom of the seventh. The Cubs are at home, but they're losing four to one. Well, go so, St. Louis. Yeah, it's so that, very rare that I root for the Cardinals, but I guess we're all Cardinals fans now. In, indeed. So, you know, we're, we're certainly hoping that the Cardinals can win five or six of those seven games because yep. that would uh, that would certainly certainly help ours. So I think you agreed that mine was kind of crazy, so let me hear yours. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is a 2020 all-star shortstop. Um, you know, <laughs> obviously, obviously if we're talking all-star, that's the, one of those 20s is not errors. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I have a reader at my site who uh, has created his own uh, unofficial statistic. He calls it the Danny after Daniel Murphy whenever a player does something unbelievably stupid on the field. So is, is that one of your 20 for Saria? No, no, no. He's going to make the All-Star team next year. With with twenty home runs and twenty steals, is that what you're saying? Oh no no no! I meant I meant in the uh, the year twenty. Oh, in the year twenty twenty. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a dunce. Um, no, no worries. Um, um, he could do twenty home runs, twenty steals too. That's it. That's in his purview, I think. But I like the I I made that prediction last time we talked, so it's a little bit of a cheat. But um, I was just too early. Now we just got done playing the Rockies and, and Trevor Story is there and, and you know everyone always thinks about him as an as an offensive shortstop but he he made several good plays in in the series defensively so you you, you think about the competition that Rosario would have and and Story and and certainly Jave Baez who uh, uh, always plays well against us and and then yeah. you know he just is a, a wizard defensively so I would think that you would have to put those two guys ahead of Rosario just from a who's likely to make the team. So uh, I'm trying to, to think off the top of my head who else might um, be in that category. Dansby Swanson was having a pretty good year this season before he got hurt. Um, uh, does Segura play second or short for the Phillies? Uh, uh, Segura's so, a shortstop. Yeah. So, and then he's uh, he certainly seems to he was up and down earlier in his career, but he seems to have settled in as a as a pretty strong, consistent player. Uh, certainly, a, a guy who's proven that he's capable of of hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, yeah. and then Trey yeah. Turner, and you know Trey Turner plays like Superman against us. Maybe he's not as good against the the rest of the league. But right. I, I would say that that's a that's a pretty uh, uphill climb that Rosario is going to have to 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 make the All Star team. Does he have the talent? Absolutely. Well, that's with, the thing. Without he's, a doubt, he's got a talent, and he's younger than every one of those guys you mentioned, and he's got as much experience playing as as uh, nearly every one of those guys. He's getting and better every year. <laughs> I, I was only I was look. 
only looking at the NL East, but if you go out west, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. certainly was having a, a very strong season before he got hurt. Corey Seager has had a, a nice uh, uh, bounce back uh, year for the Dodgers. I mean, there, there's a lot of, and and certainly Tatis is younger. Yeah, um, yeah so, that's true. Uh, well, well, you, know, you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta be um, uh, a, a good player to be a major league shortstop. So they're all gonna, um, yeah, and 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 that maybe that motivates Rosario and and uh, it drives him to the uh, to the All Star game. Um, I, I hope it I hope it happens, but I think I'd have to, to label your prediction as crazy. But that's the yeah. point. I, you know, yeah. you're not supposed to come up with a uh, oh, this makes perfect sense. This is easy. This is what will happen. Can I come up with a with a crazy prediction that's not so crazy but not so good to hear? Let's hear it. Uh, Alonso's not going to have another year like this. Well, I I made a a a very unpopular suggestion over at my blog, and and this was very early in the the second half of the season um you know maybe they had won a couple of games but it wasn't it wasn't very much and i I think that coming into the year everyone was concerned about how alonso was going to do defensively and he certainly passed that test and the other worry at least the one that i had coming into the year was what was going to happen once pitchers saw him and, and started to, to pitch him, him like a, yeah. a rookie, you know? And, you know, I don't, I don't want to go so far as to say figure him out, but just like, well, you know, he's clearly kills the ball if you put it in these two spots, so let's try these other two spots instead and see what happens. And I, I think we saw that to a tiny bit, but, you know, I was, I was suggesting that right around the All-Star break, it's hard to imagine that Alonzo's trade value would be any higher than it is right now. Yep. And so given that pitchers really haven't exploited him to any great degree at this point, you know, do you want to at least entertain the idea of seeing, you know, if we offered you Alonzo, what would you give us? Uh, yeah, I probably, I mean, I mean, it's just one of those things. You ride a guy, you know, when he's, when he's that hot. Yeah. Listen, they, they've always had that opportunity. I mean, they could have done something with, with Wheeler, uh, you know, in, in July and, uh, you know, and did not. So, um, but yeah, you, you, could, you could offer Alonzo up and, and uh, I'm sure you could, <laughs> you know, you could get the world for him. But that, I don't think the, the, it, it's a question of, of whether you trade him or, or he's a superstar. It's just that, um, you know, it's hard to imagine everything going as great for any player as it's gone great for Alonso this year. And we mentioned him earlier, but I think it's a, a, an excellent point. It's like Mark McGuire hit 49 home runs as a rookie. He didn't hit 49 home runs the next year. Yeah. You know, yep. so That's you, what know, I'm saying. you don't you don't project somebody to, to, to keep performing at that high of a level. Yeah. And he's got a little bit of um, uh, helium just from his his. Uh, I think he's surprising everybody and surprising himself, and that is is providing uh, energy too on some level. So um, when he's done it before, then you then you expect it from him. Maybe the expectations change a little bit, and and, and things get a little weird. So uh, like I said, I think he'll be a good player. I, I just don't think that he's going to shock everybody with uh, leading the leading the National League in home runs. I mean, it's uh, that that's a lot to ask of any guy. Leading the majors in home runs. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily want to go on a on a huge tangent here uh, discussing Alonzo, but yep. you know I, I mentioned that everyone was concerned about his defense, and, and I don't think he gets enough credit for how in almost all facets of defensively that he's really good, and he is he's really really good at scooping balls out of the dirt. And good. to me, if you're going to assign a trait to a first baseman, and you could only pick one. To me, that was the one that you would pick. Give me the guy who's going to help out his fielders and scoop that ball and get the out. And I think he does a fantastic job of that. He does, although I I don't think that the advanced defense ratings like uh, Alonzo quite as much as uh, those of us who see him every day do. Well, and and the flip side of that is the one thing that Alonzo doesn't do well uh, defensively is he he doesn't have a good – understanding of which balls are his and which balls are somebody else's yeah 
and I, I thought he had made some improvements in, in that category, but then he had a, a ball, I think it was it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, that, that was halfway to second base that, that he dove for. He went and made a play and, for him, yeah. And it was just like, oh, jeez, <laughs> come on. Yeah. And, you know, and... But to me, that that's a that's a, a relatively easy fix. I mean, in in uh, in the uh, in in the uh, the the dirt fields, you 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 make a mark on on the on the field and say anything hit to the right of this is somebody else's ball. Right, right. You know? Some of that is instinct too, you know. Well, and, I mean, he's aggressive. Some guys are just better, yeah. And some guys are just better instinctively than than others. And I think uh, you know you would ne- not necessarily. Uh, Put put Alonzo in the guys with great defensive instincts, right? And then he he also I believe in college was a third baseman, so uh-huh. it, it's not like he's been you know a, a first baseman throughout his career, right? And and it, it's a it's a it's a nitpick, you know. It, it isn't like oh my god he's horrible, and but given what we were told, the uh, you know the the scouting reports as they were, you know he was supposedly a disaster, and he's not anything close to that. Yeah. No, that's true. He's he's surprised everybody, and uh, and me, me included, because I was very suspicious of of Alonzo. Not because I thought he'd suck, but because um, you know we'd sort of been burned by Met fans who, for the past uh, you know uh, uh, decade, have been just slobbering over the next first baseman. You know, whether it was Davis or Duda, or let's get rid of Duda, let's bring in Dom Smith, and then it's let's get rid of Dom Smith, let's bring in Alonzo. And you know what I mean. So you're going to be disappointed more often than not. Uh, you know, it's tough to break in a major league first baseman. Well, uh, speaking of disasters, let's talk for just a second about the the relief staff. And you know, we've seen some awful performances from from our bullpen this year. And you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier with not wanting to see Diaz in any kind of uh, high leverage situation, but. I mean, if if it's a a five-two game in the fifth inning, and our starter got hurt, I don't think that I would feel awful if you brought Diaz into the game. But I think that there's some guys in our team that I don't necessarily want to see in even in that Any situation. situation. Yeah. 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 So um, to me, the he's not he's not on the team now because of an injury. But Jacob Rame. I didn't mm-hmm. want to see that guy under any circumstances. Yeah. So who's your Jacob Rehm? Who's the, the reliever that you have the least amount of confidence in? Uh, I mean, probably Paul Seawald. I mean, not because I don't like Seawald, but because he's just not good. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I was very he's su- just not good. <laughs> I was Let's put that on his baseball card. <laughs> I was surprised that, that you know, Seawald has lasted as long as he has with the Mets. It's not, you know, I, I'm not trying to say anything bad uh, about the guy, but you know, the, the, there's these guys who, who you know, have um, what you would consider to be kind of marginal stuff, and maybe they can help out your bullpen for a while or be a good organization guy and come up for a season or parts, parts of a couple of seasons. But um, it really seemed to me that as though Seawalt's, you know, moment to be a Met kind of came and went, and he hasn't done almost anything this year to um, – uh, to prove he still belongs, where where we've thrown away guys like, you know, I, I hate to you know say, Wilmer Font, you know. Oh, that was that who, was who criminal. Was, who I thought was better than Seawald, you know. Oh, and and several other pitchers. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no way that they should have gotten rid of him over at, at that time. Rain was healthy. Tyler Bashler was another guy. Uh, Bashler who's, who's in a real disappointment too. I don't know what's wrong with him, but um, uh, you know he he. I thought he was one of these guys who, uh, you know, could be a, a real strikeout, uh, you know, fireballer kind of uh, late inning relief guy when he came up, but um, he's been awful. Um, All right, can but, you yeah. can you humor me for a second? Sure. I'm I'm gonna throw out some names, and then I just want you to repeat <laughs> what you said about Seawalt, uh-huh. and and that I suggested could go on his baseball card. Uh, Jacob Rame. He's not good. Tyler Bachelor, not good. Luis Avalon, not that good. <laughs> and the list goes on. You know what the Mets should do for for their for their bullpen, and they're going to stop solving this year's problem next year, right? And and they've really got to uh, develop some um, some of their own bullpen talent. And it occurs to me the way to do that is to 
is to have too many good starters and have too many good starters in the, in the minor leagues and make some of those guys, whether you're bringing up the minor league starters or you're, uh, or you're converting them to be, but they make them relievers. Because you figure with all these guys that the Mets have brought up and tried to get as relievers from the minor leagues, Callahan, Novosek, Seawall, Bachelor, it goes on and on and on. It's dozens of names. Not one of them have stepped up. Not one. <laughs> right? And and that that goes further back than than yeah. this year, of course. Oh, of course, yeah. I'm talking about four or five years now. Uh, I mean, Lugo. Lugo was a starter in the minor leagues, right? Um, and, you know, Gazelman, and I believe Gazelman was a starter in the minor leagues. Yes. So those are the only guys that you could even argue had any kind of success. And, and with Gazelman, it's been a little shaky all year. So, um, you know, the Mets need to stop thinking that they're going to solve their bullpen problems over the offseason. They might help their bullpen over the offseason. They're not going to solve their bullpen problems over the offseason. The best closure they've had in recent years was Familia before he got fat. And, um, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a converted minor league starter as well. Uh, I, I agree with your uh, point 100%, but just as the exception that proves, proves the rule, I would throw out Drew Smith and what he did last year. Yeah, um, he got you know, right, I don't right? think any of, us, any of us saw that coming, uh, and, and he turned in a fine year, and, and of course that could just be you know the, the reliever small sample fluke, but it did happen, and, and I think that we at least need to recognize that. Yeah. And to me, one of the things that's frustrating is that they have a guy right now on their roster who fits that bill, and that would be Walker Lockett. And mm-hmm. they they gave him, I believe it was four starts this year, and he was okay in one of them, and, and you know he wasn't good in the others. And then but they they really haven't given him much of a chance. They turned to the Bachelors and Seawalds mm-hmm. before giving um, given Lockett much of a chance. I think he's only had uh, three relief appearances. And yep. you know, he's certainly a guy, if nothing else, that when Noah only goes four and two-thirds innings or whatever it is, put out the guy who can go three, four innings because he's a starting pitcher. Right. No, that makes sense. I, I kind of I like Lockett. Um, you know, not because he's an overwhelming talent or whatever, but yeah, he's the kind of guy they should be looking at for bullpen roles. Absolutely. Hey, they may be able to pick up uh, pick up uh, Felipe Vasquez real cheap in the off season. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> all right. Well, one one last question for you, and uh, that's our our buddy Robinson Cano. He has a five 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 OPS this year against lefties, and that is really really bad. And you know, it was one thing when you were giving him time to break out of his slump and, and all of the rest. And plus there was the this disabled list people that we were talking about earlier. But now most of the Mets hitters are healthy. And is there any reason to start him against a, a southpaw the rest of the year? I mean, probably not, but the Mets don't really think about it that way. I mean, they're thinking about that we've got Cano for four years and we, we made a show of... Uh, of getting him, and you know that's the way they're going to be with him. Um, you know I, what they got? Uh, what thirty-eight or forty guys on the roster now? I'm sure they could find a second baseman who can hit right-handed uh, to play. You know when when you're up against left-handers, but um, so I just think that's not the way the Mets thought about Cano. I don't think they're ready to break him down that granularly yet. Even though you know here we are, right? Cano's also, he's also a major league hitter, and you feel like, you know, I, I think there's some feeling that he's, you know, as capable of rising to the occasion as as anybody else they might throw in there. So, um, I get it. I don't like it. I didn't like that they wound up with Cano. I, you could predict that something like this was going to happen if they got Cano, but, um, you know, that's, that's how it's going to go with him, at least for a while, at least for this year. Well, unfortunately, I agree that you're right. I, I guess my follow-up question to that would be, how long do they continue that? Uh, we made such a show of getting him. We gave up so much to, to get him. Yep. You were going to give him a chance to turn around. How long does that last? Does that know. last all four years of uh, his contract? I, I, I don't know how they'll... Um, uh, you know, maybe if the situation comes up where they can get rid of him, um, th- they will. <laughs> you're funny. Yeah. <laughs> You never know. I mean, they they, they, they got rid of uh, 
uh, well, I can't think of a great, you know, and, and really the guy they wanted was Diaz, of course, and, and, and um, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to solve that problem either. So I think they might just have to sell him at a loss, you know, and um, so how long is this going to last? I don't know. You know, people were speculating that, that like, that Brody was a genius and was uh, coming up with a DH before they changed the rules in the National League. Yeah, that that talk has certainly died down, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I don't know. I don't know. Next year, you know, if he doesn't perform next year, I'm sure he'll have a pretty sh- a shorter, shorter leash than this year. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Well, on that semi-positive note, um, <laughs> uh, I'd like to, to thank John for uh, – coming back from his uh, whirlwind uh, personal tour of the globe and uh, joining us in on the, on the podcast. Any uh, Anything coming up in, in your life that we should know about? Uh, no, I'm, uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm moving to Queens. There you go. Excellent. <laughs> Been in Brooklyn for 15 years. We're, we're, uh, we'll be there before uh, the World Series, it looks like, if we can close on this house. So that, that's my news. Opening up a chop shop? Yeah, something like that. Now we'll be, we're, we're just going to go going across back across the um, uh, the Newtown Creek into uh, into uh, the Astoria Long Island City area. Well, excellent. Good luck. Uh, good luck with that, and uh, hopefully that makes it easier for you to see even more Mets games in 2020. I hope so too. Thanks a lot, Brian. Always appreciate it. All right, John, hang on just a second. Um, yeah. Thanks, thanks everybody for for listening, and uh, we'll see you again next week here on Mets 360 Uncast. Good night, everyone, and goodbye. <laughs>